What I would love the senior leaders to champion is that message that says it will be different. We're going to automate some things that will be more efficient, but you know, chances are there's going to be more and better and even more interesting work to do. One of the key aspects in artificial intelligence, machine learning, in the last few years has been around productionizing and scaling the use of these services. And for that, at Data Futurology, we've created an event, which we've run a couple of years now. We call it Advancing AI. So we want to be advancing the deployment of these systems in production at scale. We also want to advance the use of these capabilities throughout the organizations. And we always cover the most relevant and best topics that we can find. And we're definitely keen to see you there in the next one. This year's 2022's Advancing AI is going to be in person in Melbourne, April 6th and 7th at Crown Promenade. I hope to see you there. The lineup is looking fantastic. Please check it out on datafuturology.com. It's all gonna be geared around productionizing these systems, scaling them, and increasing the adoption of AI within organizations and outside. April 6th and 7th, Melbourne, Crown Promenade advancing AI with Data Futurology. Thank you so much. See you then. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from firsthand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi everyone, this is Felipe Flores. Today I'm sitting down with a very, very special guest, a crowd favorite. He's been on the podcast before. We've been getting lots of requests for a part two. I think after this, we'll be getting requests for part three and four. Anthony Ugoni, it is always a pleasure to spend time with you, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Felipe. Thank you for being charitable enough to have me another time on the, on the podcast. Right. It has been way too long, way too long. Um, so today we're going to be covering the traction that we're getting at the at the exec level from a data analytics and data science perspective. So I guess to kick us off, for the practitioners in the field, we always have high ambitions and high expectations about the traction that we can get with our work and the impact that we can have with organizations. Why do you think it hasn't fully met expectations yet? What do you think? Yeah, it's a fantastic and a bit of a depressing question, right? Because um, it's been acknowledged as, you know, the new oil, all that sort of stuff since the mid 2000s. Um, and you always look in a, in a five year horizon, five years time, you know, we're going to be kings of the world and we're going to be, you know, everybody will understand what we're doing and how we're doing it. And um, we just don't seem to have got there yet. So um, let's, um, let's preface Let's just preface this just to kind of safeguard our reputations and also, you know, sample size of one um, in terms of observations here. Um, there are always two parts to, to this argument. One is 
what our counterparts and colleagues, and in particular the senior leaders, um, haven't quite grasped yet uh, in terms of getting the best out of our community. Uh, and there's also another long, big discussion around what our community needs to do to reach in to organisations um, uh, and, and just create, you know, that two-way that two-way handshake. Um, <clears throat> so let's maybe we just draw a line first through um, new organisations and startups, etc. These organisations, they they kind of get it, right? Because um, by and large, um, they are starting from a, you know, it's cheaper to get into a digital domain than it is to get into a storefront and a physical footprint. Um, so most of the um, the new and emerging organisations are data and digital savvy. Um, and so their, um, their problem is not so much understanding what could be done, uh, but it's getting A, enough scale and B, enough funding to actually do it. They're full of ideas. So let's just park them on the side. They are mostly about scale and funding and those things are known problems um, uh, and we know how to solve them. You just need to be lucky enough to, you know, stick around long enough as a startup to um, to get there. Um, I think today what we're talking about is we're talking about the organisations that are 50, 100 years old Um and, you know, some of those organisations have 50, 100-year-old technology. So they're kind of struggling, yeah? Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, I'm going to glance down. I've got some notes, of course, because uh, for you, Philippe, I prepare really, really hard. Um, so let's be really... So also, again, let's be clear, um, you know, what do people like you and I do when we, when we go into a new organisation? Um, what we don't do is we typically... We haven't started from the shop floor, right? We haven't been the junior salesperson talking to customers or on the factory floor making the widgets and then, you know, make our way up into store managers, regional managers, um, et cetera, and then into general management. Um, uh, a lot of organisations have had those individuals kind of grow up through the ranks and make really good decisions uh, on the way up. Um, that is not us. That is, you know, we went and did the computer science degrees and the maths degrees and the stats degrees, um, and we landed in straight into head office with access to data and capability, um, and we've been asked to, and also we couldn't wait to show what we were capable of. Um, uh, and so we don't have that context and that heritage, and we haven't got the, you know, the war medals from um, from being at the, the front lines where you kind of get that context and you get that respect from an organisation. Um, but further to that, when we do come in, we're kind of asked to do one of three things, one of many things, but the three things that we're asked to do is, um, you know, we're asked to automate processes. Um, and we can, you know, we can absolutely do that. That's, um, that's a known capability. Um, Unfortunately, when you automate a process, you do so usually at the expense of a human being who's currently there running that process in a manual fashion. And that individual has spent um, you know, a part of their career or a large slab of their career turning up to run that manual process. And that's what they're good at. That's how they show the organisation value. Um, another thing that we're asked to do is we are asked to come in and provide insights. Once again, I've never sold the product, I've never made the product, I've never spoken to a customer, but I just want to let you know, dear colleague, here are all these pockets of things, here are all these probabilities of things that are going to happen. Uh, and typically, that's the role of the human uh, in the past who's got the, the instinctive gut feel um, expertise. 
Uh, and so we're disrupting another human. So we've disrupted the person in the process. We've disrupted the deep, the deep thinker, um, the gut feel expert. And then the other thing that we're asked to do is we're asked to scale IP. There's this one salesperson over here who's absolutely killing it. Find out what they're doing and then see if you can write that as a piece of SQL so that everybody's got access to that IP. And unfortunately, what we do then is we make that expert who's shooting the lights out, we make them, you know, an average salesperson, for example. Yeah. Um, and so we take a, we take away the role of the expert or the, you know, the absolute killer salesperson or service person, whatever that is. Um, and so, you know, in all those three examples, we are disrupting a human. And we are no better in our own domain. How many times have you jumped into the car and said, I want to go to point B over there and I'm at point A here. Google, tell me how to get there. Yeah. And Google says, okay, well, this is the way you go. And you say, yeah, but I want to go by the beach. <laughs> or I want to go through, you know, I really like that strip of shops down there. I just, you know, I want to go down that strip of shops. So even though, you know, we live in a world where we come into organisations and we show the better way, the best way, the fastest way, you know, we're just as guilty at looking at the technology and saying, you know what, yeah, no, it's not quite for me. Um, so, so right there starts a whole bunch of problems. Unless we have air cover from the most senior people in the organisation, um, we are now disrupting all these individuals who have, turned up to work for the longest time in these roles and quite rightly you know they don't it's not as though they don't want us to succeed but they want to keep doing the job that they've always been doing and so you know what happens then they need to fight or disrupt internally to say to just find that one thing that doesn't work for example in that that code to say see i told you it doesn't work yeah. me as the human you know, I've got this. We've been doing this for the last 20 years. I don't understand why you need to change. Um, so that is um, that is where we're at. And the part of the problem is our generation, the data and data-driven ways of working are still relatively new. Mm. And and, I, and I'm, I'm talking very, very, very generically. Um, the C-suite is... is um, is of our generation. So they grew up alongside us, not necessarily with us, and they have their expertise. They, they typically come from, you know, uh, finance backgrounds or marketing backgrounds or strategy backgrounds, um, and they don't have the expertise of what we bring to the game. Um, they know what finance is meant to do. Finance has been around for, you know, ever since auditors walked into organisations and kept um, kept CEOs um, uh, accountable for, for what the books say, um, that's that's a known competency. If they've come from a marketing background, marketing's been around for the longest time, the, um, uh, so that's a known competency. They, they could come through the people or the HR domain. That's a known competency that's been around for a long time. But uh, to date, um, data, data professionals getting right to the CEO level, we are still under-indexed. Um, and so we're a poorly understood capability. Um, and, you know, right down to the storefront assistant up to, you know, the level down from the CEO, mm. if these people don't want it, we'll find arguments as to why we shouldn't have it. And we, me, 
uh, I think I said this in the last podcast I was on, we are not, we, we are not trained in the world of bureaucracy and politics. You know, we're, yeah. we're a black and white family. Um, and, uh, and so when we come up against this tension, uh, the organisations who are doing it well have it championed from a very, very high level. Um, and the organisations who have stop, start, stop, start attempts at this, um, they still have um, uh, they, they still have this ambiguity as to why we're doing this at the senior level. Um, the next generation, the digital natives, our children, and the people who are between you and I and our children, they get it. Everything will be fine by then. But we live in this um, we live in this kind of epoch of time where it's emerging. Um, so I look forward to, and I think I said this last time around, I look forward to um, us getting out of the way and, and the next group of uh, uh, capable individuals taking over and, and doing a better job of it. So I'll pause there. What do you think? Mate, I love it. I love it. I love the um, the the depth of the thinking, uh, the the structure and the insights. I think I think it's fantastic. But at the end of the day, you know, our work is always impacting people and what they've been doing for a long time, uh, from from the, the the processes to to the thinking, to the gut feel, the decisions that they're making. Um, so we do have a, a strong a strong uh, human impact to to our role, which. Um, definitely becomes a a hurdle to adoption and 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 to and and to the organizational change um and the value that can be unlocked through that um i i definitely i definitely agree that there's there's more that um that senior execs could be doing at the moment there's there's more maybe more understanding and i'm keen to maybe to jump into into that side on what we um either what we could say to C-level executives or what we wish we, they knew um, to, to help this capability that they have um, flourish within the organizations. And I completely agree that we are not, um, mm. as, a, as an industry, typically we're not, we're not prepared for, for, the, for the bureaucracy and, um, and sometimes for, for the politics and, and that there is um, some that there is some assistance, I would say, that is required to, to make the most out of uh, analytics and data science capability within organizations. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's a, a good good next area to discuss. What, what do you think um, or what do you wish? that uh, AC level executives knew about, about getting value from this area? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that I wish they would knew, um, wish they'd know, wish they would knew, wish they'd know, um, I always go back to the story of, um, of Deep Blue. It's a, um, it just reminds me over and over again the power of what we're capable of. And so the story goes Deep Blue learn how to play chess, they pitted Deep Blue up against a Grandmaster, beat the Grandmaster, pitted Deep Blue up against another Grandmaster, beat another Grandmaster, just kept beating these Grandmasters one after the other. Um, and, you know, the, the people around at the time thought, oh, my God, the computers are now smarter than us. We're going to take over the world. What are we going to do? And then somebody had an idea one day of taking Deep Blue and pitting Deep Blue up against a human Grandmaster who was working alongside Deep Blue. And Deep Blue and the human Grandmaster 
went on to beat Deep Blue. And what we've seen consequently from there is we've seen a continual reversioning of this story, which is the machines don't necessarily do better than the humans. Mm. What the machines do is they enhance the human. And so instead of the human turning up to work every day and cranking the handle on the machine, the computer will crank the handle on the machine uh, and the human can bring context or the human can bring colour or art um, to the process that the computer can never do. Um, there's a great video. You can, you can see videos now of, of machinery laying bricks, just, you know, these walls that go up in you know, minutes and hours when once they took days. Uh, and during isolation here in Melbourne, um, I used to go for walks in the neighbourhood over and over again because I had a five-kilometre radius. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I watched I watched a, um, uh, a shed garage being put up in my neighbourhood. Um, and one day I saw them, the owner come out and talk to the bricklayer and said, hey, I really like what you've done with the way you've stacked those bricks over. I was, you know, I actually joined in the conversation I really like what you've done with the way you stack those bricks over there. I was thinking maybe could we change the pattern? And the bricklayer said, well, yeah, we could do this and we could turn this around and we could have this nice archway, et cetera. And you don't have that conversation. You know, once yeah. once the machine gets going um, and it's locked into what it needs to do, it will just do it. Whereas, you know, that human-to-human conversation with the machinery over the top, you know, they got what they wanted. They got a better version of what they wanted. Um, and the machinery helped them do quicker. Um, and also think about uh, health. What you don't want is you don't want the computer saying, hey, Felipe, this, this spot on your arm, you know, there's a 97% chance you've only got two years and seven days until you, you, know, you roll off this mortal coil. Um, that's, you know, that's, that may be accurate, but what you want is you want that information, but you want it delivered with a human who's got context, who's got empathy, who might know of other research that's coming along. Um, so make that make that experience a better experience. So a number of examples where what I would love for, this, for the C-suite, our senior leaders, to be able to talk about is, um, yes, there will be some disruption to what we do and how we do it and possibly even why we're doing it, but I almost guarantee will be a better version of ourselves. Mm. Um, if you have a look at the Australian economy today, um, I always go back to my old employer at Seek. Um, we've never had more jobs in the Australian marketplace. Um, it's quite extraordinary. And we are watching a wave. What what COVID taught us is we need digital, we, like we never thought we needed digital uh, and online and all these data-driven environments. And yet the market has responded with, more jobs, not less jobs. Um, and so enhancing enhancing the worker as opposed to replacing the worker, I think, is what is going to happen in the future. Um, and the other thing in my experience and your experience as well is with the analytics, you're never finished. So I made the um, mistake early in my career when I took over uh, a team at um, National Australia Bank and I thought, well, if I do these five to ten things in two or three years' time, we'll be finished. But the reality is every time you answer a question, you actually generate three more questions, three more possibilities, three more avenues of investigation. Um, and so 
you know, what I would love the senior leaders to champion is that message that says it will be different. We're going to automate some things and we'll be more efficient. But, you know, chances are there's going to be more and better and even more interesting work to do. Um, but that's that's a bit of a leap of faith. Um, those senior leaders haven't, they haven't lived this experience day in, day out like you and I. Um, and so we need to we need to give them examples. We need to give them examples. Uh, and the other thing that I, I wish they would do, so we need to educate them. Mm. We need to force our way into, um, you know, um, AICD, those sorts of organisations, company directors, um, MBAs, all those sorts of executive programs. We need to force our way in and say, hey, we need at least three days of what, you know, here are the things you need to know about data and analytics. Um, but we also need to educate that senior level. Hey, when you put on a chief data officer or chief analytics officer, the person they need the most is not a data scientist. They need a hardcore communicator, a change and communication agent, um, because they'll have stories to tell, but they only, I shouldn't say they only, Anthony only knows how to tell it to Felipe or another analytics expert, trying to break the story up into consumable bites for the rest of our community um, in the organisation. That's a skill, that's a discipline, and we often overlook that. So, um, yeah, more, better, um, interesting work emerging out of that uh, data environment um, and, you know, supporting that analytic community yeah, with those storytellers. If, if we could get those things into um, the minds of the C-suite, I think we'd be in a much better place. Definitely, definitely, definitely much, much better. Um, Shen, that would be, uh, that would be excellent. Like the, the enhancement of, of a workforce, um, unleashing creativity, being able to leverage the experience that people have, but also giving them the opportunity to, to see more, to do more. Um, that's, that's, yeah, uh, I, 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 would assume and I, I would like to believe that that would be so exciting and liberating for people to be able to uh, be enhanced in that way in their, in their work. Um, and sometimes it can be the, you know, little things that, that can that can make a, an aid throughout their day, um, getting getting some stats on, you know, on, on, a, on a research or on how well a process has gone in the past or um, on the efficacy of a drug and then sometimes it can be being enhanced at a, at a much higher level that that it would it would free up people to do some much more uh, creative and exciting work um so i love that i love the um the the focus on on communication and helping helping the um the data analytics capability um not only not not only market but market their their impact but being able to um to make it relevant for people and and actionable uh and i i've i've noticed that bigger data analytics teams have um have roles like this that that sometimes people call it a, a data translator or um or a strategic analytical partner things things like that um but i i I agree. And I hadn't, um, I hadn't come across the idea of having them early in the in the analytics journey. That people um, usually start with, or that the ask is to have a data science team or a data scientist. 
Um, often the analytical leaders say, well, let's look at the data quality first and then maybe let's, let's get some warehousing going and, and let's, let's start work on that side. Um, but the, the idea of starting with the communicators is, is even more foundational, I think. Um, yeah, how, how, um, how did you come to that? Um, have you seen it play well anywhere? Tell me, tell me more about that side. I've seen it play well in many, many, many places. I've worked in a couple of large organisations now um, and I've always had a HR partner. So for all my HR needs, mm-hmm. I go through this person. Mm-hmm. And that person is my conduit from my line of business, me, my people, my peer group, into all the things that I need out of my HR team. Um, have a finance partner, yeah? All the things that I need out of the finance group, you know, budgeting, spending, you know, credit card approvals, planning, et cetera, I, I go through this individual. Mm. Um, interestingly, oh, and, um, you know, at National Australia Bank, I was there for, a, you know, a long time. Um, the best relationship that I had with technology, we, we had BDMs, business development part managers, um, who for all things, everything from, you know, who do I call to get my laptop fixed through to we need to do, you know, a large business case for a big investment in, a, I don't know, some database technology, whatever it might be, I go through that individual. Mm. So when you ask me, have I seen it work really well, embarrassingly, yeah, over and over and over again in other disciplines, yeah? And so what we haven't, what, as, a, as an industry at large, what we haven't done really well is we haven't identified how do how do the humans, and I don't want to say the normal people to make us sound abnormal, but you know, the regular people, how do they engage with us? Yeah. And so far what we've done is we've said, well, you know, go and talk to go and talk to that that person over there who's you know who's never been um, charged with building a relationship, a communications pack, um, you know, talking talking a language that the that the rest of the organization understands. And, and I, I don't want that to sound like we're dumbing anything down. We're not dumbing anything down at all. What we're doing is we're saying we talk in a particular language amongst us, mm. but that is not the language of the rest of the world. Yeah. And um, actually, you, um, you brought this to my mind a number of years ago, Eli 5. Unless you can explain like I'm 5. Um, explain this in plain English so that our counterparts can understand what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it, because we're very comfortable with the black box Um, because we've designed the black boxes. We know the mathematics that goes into the black box. We know how the black box can fail. We know what it looks like and it works spectacularly well. But, um, you know, we're asking asking people who um, who have never been part of you know, behind the curtain machinations to trust us. Um, and I, I, don't, I honestly don't think we as an industry have got enough runs on the board for the rest of society to say, you know what, the data scientists, they've got it. It's all cool. I, I trust them. Um, they shouldn't. They should constantly question us, uh, keep us accountable, uh, and we should constantly be finding ways to connect um, to connect those individuals to what we're doing, uh, and we've, I, I think, I think as an industry, we've, you know, we're, you know, five years behind 
where we could be, mm -hmm. simply because we we didn't think that communication was important enough to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I agree. I agree, and I think um, it's it's refreshing to hear your perspective on this because it seems like a lot of times um, the the expectation is to have analytical people that have broader and broader and broader skills over time and that anything else that that maybe and, and as you were saying you know we're, we're a, a new uh, and fairly young um a specialization in in organizations and and we've had you know quite quite a short life in in corporations so far and so it it, it is evolving and so far, it seems like most of the trend is that any additional skill that's required from the data science and analytics team, it's um, additional for everyone and that everyone needs to be able to um, communicate and storytell and do the analytics and build the model and prepare the data. And let's get let's get everyone doing everything as much as possible. So I love I love the approach of, you know, ha let's let's structure this discipline in ways that other disciplines have structured themselves and that they've had this time to mature um, and, and, and that that helps them maximize their impact in the organization and, and also that they're known ways. So it's, it's, it's almost like using organizational muscles that already exist. Um, but sometimes we're, we're seen as, as different <laughs> and that, and that the, the communications people shouldn't sit in the analytics team, for example. Um, so what about the, that side, the, the expectations that C-level executives have on, um, on the data analytics team and, and what, what they should look like and what they should expect from, uh, from the teams? What do you think about that side? Yeah, so again, let's just uh, recalibrate what we're talking about here. We're talking about the 50-year-old, the 100-year-old company, right? Um, so if if I could get that C-suite to understand a couple of things, they would be um, there is this perception that it's, hey, it's just, it's the data. I can't believe, well, you just get the data, right? Just You just get the data and you answer the question, how hard can it be? Um, and there is, there are a couple of things wrong with that. One is, first of all, in these um, these older organisations, those systems have been Frankenstein over the course of time um, with the right motivation. Um, just, there's a little tweak on how the data feeds from A to B because we, we put this other system in place and we really need this thing to happen. Or um, um, we repurpose this field five years ago because nobody was using it. And, um, yeah. And nobody knows, right, because that COBOL programmer has since retired and is living in Hawaii somewhere. Um, the Fortran code, nobody knows how to unpick. Um, and if you if you delete this table over here, I don't know, all the toilets on level four start flushing and nobody knows why. Yeah? Um, <laughs> so there's all this, this long-term interconnectedness between these systems um, that nobody understands. And if you want to if you want to see this come to play in most organizations today, you know, give give the CEO the number of customers you have. So this is definitely a hundred percent without any doubt, these are the number of customers that we have. And you will see 
and analytics and VI community come to a standstill because they know all of the things that go on in the data um, to trick the system, to repurpose the system, um, to then arrive at a number, it is, mm -hmm. uh, the data is, it's not that the data is dirty, it's that the systems have been butchered for the longest time to keep the organisation running. Uh, and that's okay because those choices were made with the right motivations at the time. Um, secondly, organisations, what I observe is where they stall is they say, okay, well, how are we going to pay for this? I know we're going to decommission all of this other stuff over here. And so all of a sudden what, what started out as opportunity creation becomes a decommission exercise. And once you start looking under all the covers of all the things that are around, mm -hmm. that becomes a three, four-year journey on its own. Yeah. Um, and, and so then that, that the senior level, they, they start to get impatient because, once again, but, you know, it's just the data. I can't believe you're having all these problems. Um, so there's the decommission piece. And then the last thing is even if you haven't butchered the systems, that data typically 95% of the time, it was never, those systems were never built to capture data so that you could analyze things. Those systems were built to onboard customers, to sell them products, to move them through processes. Um, and that data is not the same as data created for analytic purposes. So there's, there's this wave of inertia that pushes back on these data programs that is all about dirty data, um, you know, systems with that are a bit of a spaghetti mess that nobody knows the blueprint for uh, that need to be looked after on the way through. And then lastly, I want to create all this value. However, I'm going to anchor it to all this decommission and cleansing. Um, so if I could get the senior leaders to understand that as soon as you as soon as you pull up the cover and have a look underneath, you know, you just Typically, what you want to do is you just want to close the cover again. So I'm just going to pretend I never saw that, yeah, because it's a it's going to be a big project. Um, what I would love is I would love, it, and a mature organisation who understands that, decouple the decommissioning, decouple the decommissioning from the value creation. Go get the data, start creating value, build, start building the new things, but have an eye towards building these data assets to eventually decommission. Have a decommissioning team, mm. but don't hold the decommissioning of stuff as the blocker to new value. Um, so if you could separate those two things out and get going, and get going on the stuff that is not compliance related, mm. you know, the cross-sell model or the retention model, you know, those sorts of things um, where, you know, if, if Felipe is a vegetarian and we accidentally ask him if he wants to buy a can of tuna. Uh, okay, sorry, for, I know we made a mistake here, but the CEO is not going to go to jail for it. Yeah. Um, just, just do those easy things, you know, that have a, um, a high tolerance to mistake um, and just and get momentum, get moving, get going, um, create those small pockets of uh, opportunity. Um, so, yeah, dirty data, not fit for purpose. This is going to take a long time. Um, and, and like I said, decouple the value creation from everything else and get moving on that value creation because you need to get momentum. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and I agree, like people need to understand that, um, 
you know, starting the decommissioning process, um, it's it's almost like doing a renovation, like a home renovation, that you pull out a layer and you go, shit, this is worse than what we thought before. Get the next one out, get the next one out. So in, in, inevitably, it's gonna be bigger and longer than, than expected. Um, why why do you think that there is that expectation that um, that you know the the old thing has to wither away for the for the new thing to to come in and thrive um, instead of having a, a parallel approach? Yeah, I mean, there are the obvious commercial realities of um, the obvious commercial realities of this new thing is going to cost, but what you're telling me is you want to keep this old thing running at the same time. Um, and so, you know, somebody needs to be the grown-up in the room to say, hey, you can't have both, right? We're not going to spend all this money on this new stuff and keep this old stuff running. Um, so we need to have a conversation that says we're going to get rid of the old stuff, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a one-for-one one in the immediate term. Um, so we need to have mature conversations around that. Um, we also need to have mature conversations around... Um, we, we, you just have to get to a world where the data is, it's available, it's democratised um, to an extent. You know, some people can't have access to certain amounts of data. That's fine. Um, but by and large, it's democratised so that all the analytics people can see it consistently, right, from team to team to team to team. They have the same interpretation of the value of the field or the table. Um, we... So we need to we need to have those conversations to say, you are never not going to be in a world. So you are never going to be in a world where the expectation is you don't have a modern version of your data. So let's just call that a hygiene factor. This needs to be done. Yeah. Um, let's let's do the decommissioning piece, but they are not going to run at the same pace. And we just have to have some faith that. We're going to, as, as we build these new data assets, hmm. we're going to find new streams of value, new yep. pockets of opportunity, um, you know, new builds of, you know, new business environments that we can pull together, new efficiencies. Um, because let's face it, the organisations, uh, and again, I said this last time around, who are the organisations who are absolutely killing it? It's Google, it's Apple, it's eBay, it's Alibaba. It's so. What have they done? They have bit the Amazon. They've bit the house on data and the opportunity therein. Um, and and you know we know the story of Amazon. How many years did they run at a loss because they simply took every spare dollar that they had and they threw it back into data and infrastructure um, because they knew you know their bet was having the best and the most data was the way to win. Um, and the sooner, the sooner that you know those 50, 100 year old organisations understand it, and I think they understand it. It's just taking that last leap. Um, the better off we'll be. Yeah, and we just need to have some great examples. You know, in Australia, some great local examples. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, and do you think that um, part of the part of the approach is a is found in the generational gap that um, in in uh, earlier in corporate history, um, systems had to be done once and done, and it had to be you know a big implementation with high cost of entry, um, 
and and limited modifications. Well, I think now we're we're in a world where things can be a lot more piecemeal. Um, the the entry cost uh, and barriers to entry are a lot easier. Uh, costs are lower. Um, a lot more open source tools. Um, a lot of more. You know. Um, looking at the menu of options from a cloud vendor that you can plug and play different pieces and get get quite advanced functionality uh, developed very quickly. Do you think that there's, there's a gap there in um, what can be done with modern tech and, and the modern data stack? Uh, what, what, what do you think that, that effect had, the effect that that has on our um, ability to, to progress things? To progress things, yeah. I think, um... So first of all, what I would say is we used to spend, um, you know, some eye-watering numbers on our capability at one of my former employers, and we had one of the best CRM systems in the world, and, and we'd have people from all around the world visiting us through the vendors who we partnered with, coming to see what we were doing and how we were doing. Um, eight, eight years ago, my physiotherapist decided to start his own business. And in a weekend, he went on to um, an Amazon account and built a CRM system, which was 90% as good and as capable as what we had. Um, so I think the barriers to entry are far lower than they ever have been. Um, one thing that I would say, um, and again, this is in my myopic view of, of, of what I've seen emerging. In the rush to, I'll use the phrase again, to democratise this capability, um, I think what has happened has been we are moving into a point-and-click world um, and that has taken away some of the advanced, nuanced capability that somebody writing code could do. Um, and so when I... When I talk to new vendors um, in some of the possible kind of solutions that they're bringing to bear, um, the sophistication that we were capable of, I think, 10 years ago, I think it's gone missing. But there's a trade-off. The sophistication versus the wider array of people who can get access to this capability, there, there is a very, 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 um, very tangible trade-off. So... So, you know, one is I think the ability to get online and scale and be flexible and cheap is like never before. It's amazing, um, and I'll give you an I'll give you an example of that um, in a moment. Um, but I do think that you know, in the rush to simplify and um, broaden the community of people who can get grab access to it, we've had to kind of dumb down the sophistication to some degree. Um, there's an algorithm that we built at um, at Seek, um, and and you know for the people who know, it was basically a deliberately a many to many join, um, and so combinations just grew exponentially, you know every day. We had to do this matching thing where we had to match many things to many things. Um, to run that faster when I was at NAB was. You know, it was probably going to be about a million dollar transaction if I wanted to run it twice as fast. Um, and if I wanted to run it twice as fast again, you know, with discounts, it's going to be another eye-watering number. Um, we used to run that algorithm every night uh, when I was at Seek. 
um, in an Amazon environment would scale up and scale down. And I, I vaguely remember it was like ten dollars a night. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the the order of magnitude um, decreasing costs, so that you had this ability to experiment. It just I don't use the word unprecedented often, but just amazing, just unbelievable. Um, and so that capability, I love. I think that is that is an, um, an eye opener. Where we are today is we are no longer bound by the data that we have and our ability to crunch it. Um, we are bound by the imagination of people who have got access to the data. What with this data? What are the other problems I can solve? That's that's the only thing that holds us back um, today. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I wanted to ask you about the, um, or maybe I wanted to ask you whether this is an implication of, of what we're talking about in terms of the division of labor within the, the analytics side between um, an analytical leader that is um, technical and, and up to date and can help create a good analytical organization that, that delivers um, versus the, um, the communications expert, um, maybe, uh, or probably better at, 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 at the polit political game, uh, understanding motivations and drivers and being able to contextualize the outputs of the analytics for, for different people. Um, where, um, if we have, oh, well, I guess first, would those two, do you see those two skill sets um, living in harmony? Would you have one and not the other? Are both necessary? What, what do you think um, C-suite executives should, should expect from, uh, from the makeup of the analytical organization? Yeah, so I don't see an organization being a large organization been successful without those two things coming together. Um, I've been very deliberate, a large organisation. In a small organisation, you know, the most senior data scientist who is still hands on the tools can kind of get to all the people and have a coffee with them and create a relationship, you know, a trusting relationship. But when you're in a large organisation, um, that, that most senior analytical leader eventually needs to diverge away from being hands on the keyboard coding. Um, because a number of things happen when that most senior leader is hands on the keyboard coding. Um, one is it's bad for their, it typically turns out to be bad for their work-life balance because this isn't happening fast enough. Well, okay, I'll just jump on, I'll do it myself. Um, uh, and that's not great. Um, the emerging analytic talents, uh, it's not that they get lazy, but the person who still holds a huge amount of their own self-value by being the best person at the code, um, there, be, there comes a dynamic where that most senior person wants to check the code, whereas what you really want is you want these people to emerge and say, mm. here's the code, here's the model, here's the, the data flow, whatever it is, and it's it's sorted. You know, this next level down, we peer-reviewed it, we made sure it hit the spec, um, and it's it's done. And so that senior leader steps away. And the role of that senior leader then becomes connecting their team to the organisation, mm -hmm. but also, um, um, you know, being that person who can call BS on things. 
Because um, yeah. let's face it, technical people love to do really cool technical things. And every so often, you know, this thing, all this thing needs is a pivot table. I really want to build some sort of fancy ML capability over here. And you just, you know, people, people respect, you know, that senior person who can just keep you within the kind of the tram lines of where you need to be. Um, because humans are cheeky, right? And they like to divert and test their boundaries. Once they figure out they can go outside their boundary a little bit, I think, okay, well, maybe that's not the boundary. Let me go a little bit further. Um, so yeah, that senior people, that senior person, um, I think, for the good of their team, for the good of the organisation, has to step away from the hands-on coding. And also, and I'm not that genius. I'm an average technical person. If you want to lead a team and be connected to the strategy and communicate and you know bring all these things together and orchestrate, I simply don't have the time to yeah. keep up with everything that's emerging. At some point. It becomes too much, you know. Notwithstanding a family that has expectations on you as well, um, you know, or a life um, outside of your day job, um, and so you just need to get to the point where you say, "I know enough now to make sure that those people are kind of on point." I'm going to allow them to have their artistic freedom within the problem that we're trying to solve, but let's be clear on the problem we're trying to solve and the solution that you bring to bear. Is it? Is it too much? Is it just right? Is it not enough? Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, and I, I definitely feel like that, that I, I definitely feel like I can't keep up that there's so much, both so much going on, but also so much required and so much more that could be done. Um, where, yeah, I'm, I feel very time crunched to, to, um, keep across everything. And I think that there is a, um a an assumption if not sometimes even a requirement for the analytical leader to be across the analytics for when they particularly when they come up in um you know c-suite discussions and if you have a seat at the table um sometimes like things need to be brought up and discussed right there and then that's the that's a lot of the the pressure that I feel that if I'm, um, I feel like I wouldn't be doing justice to the team and they and their efforts if I'm not across the results of of the work uh, mm -hmm. in a way that I can draw the links between it, but also make it relevant for different parts of the organization. And that that is, yeah, a pressure that I'm not um, not yet found a good way to to manage it appropriately for for longer term uh, yeah. sustainability. And we, um, we, we do a bad job, again, generalising, we do a bad job of the way we promote individuals in our industry because typically, again, a generalisation, you know, we take the best data scientists and say, you, you should be the team leader of the data science team. Um, there's a podcast that is nowhere near as good as Data Futurology, Felipe, so... And apologies for mentioning it on your podcast, but the Freakonomics podcast recently yeah. had a um, had a discussion on I can't remember the exact title, but it was something words to the effect of why a boss is still bad, or what makes a boss, what makes a bad boss bad. Um, and there's a lot of discussion around you know getting the brilliant technical person and you know almost forcing them into leadership. 
um, which is the last thing that they want. Um, but they don't realize that they don't want it until they get there. And then by that time, it's too late and maybe the damage has been done. Um, and so we, we as a community, we need to be better at uh, identifying the emerging people leaders and general managers um, and organizations, us included within those organizations, we need to find a better way of acknowledging and rewarding the, the brilliant technical experts who want to stay on that path. Yes. It needs to be just as rewarding and just as honourable um, when you recognise an individual as being the brilliant thought leader in this technical domain. Yeah. Mate, I love that. Yeah. Just as rewarding and just as honourable. That is that is the, the key. Um, yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. And then I should say on the flip side, um, you know, I'm old enough now to have learned these lessons the hard way. But for the people who are listening who are wanting, who genuinely want to get into leadership, the moment, the moment you realise that you no longer have to have all the technical answers, you should, you should still have a, a large number of the answers or at least give direction as to where to find the answers. But the moment you realise you're allowed to say to your team members, hey, I don't know, let's figure this out together, um, that becomes an unbelievably liberating moment. But the other thing it does is it connects you much better to your team because there is nothing worse than having a leader who is the know-it-all. Yes. And you know that they don't know the answer, but they're going to tell you they know the answer. And now you need to chase down that avenue that that leader has put you down, even though you know it's the wrong thing because you can't upset your leader. Um, the moment you say to your team, hey, I don't know the answer, let's try to figure this out together, then what they see is they see this um, this self-aware leader who, when they say, hey, I know the answer, go down here, they say, okay, well, Felipe is usually pretty honest with us, and if he thinks he knows the answer, um, his intentions are right and he genuinely believes he has the answer, so we'll follow that because I trust him to tell us when he doesn't know the answer. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's one thing I've learned in leadership, the power of saying I don't know. Um, in for the long term, the health of your team, it's actually more powerful than you think. It's frightening the first time you do it, but um, yeah, liberating. It's just the weight off your shoulders. <laughs> the weight off your shoulders. So true, mate. I love that. I love that. Um, I know that we're we're running out of time. I do want to ask you that you're um, about your advancing AI presentation. So we've got advancing AI coming up in Melbourne, um, April 6th and 7th. You're a keynote speaker. What um what do you got in store uh, for us? Um, so I'm not all that imaginative. Um, it's more of this sort of stuff. I'm hoping we get some really curly questions. Um, we've got a, a fantastic facilitator. Excuse me, and Sandra, uh, Sandra Hogan. Um, she is just a brilliant mind, experienced. Um, uh, she's got a such a fantastic experience in. She's doing work with some startups at the moment. She built and led a successful team in the largest corporate in Australia, in Telstra. She had a great experience there. She went to EY. She's done it as a consultant. She's worked at SAS, so she knows what the vendor kind of conversation looks like. Um, she is um, she's an absolute gun. Um, so I'm looking forward to um, having her kind of test us um, and bringing us together. But, um, you know, hopefully... Uh, the participants 
come up with some really curly questions and put us on the spot. I love it. That will be a challenge to the audience. <laughs> Thanks so much. Anthony, thank you so much, mate. This was amazing, amazing, uh, super refreshing perspectives. Uh, obviously, a, um, a a wealth of, of knowledge and, and wisdom. Um, and that's, that's what I love every time we chat, mate. I feel illuminated. So thank you. Thank you so much for everything, everything you share with us today. My pleasure, Felipe. Thank you for having me again. It's um, as we've gone through the apocalypse, we haven't been able to be with each other uh, in the flesh because you were uh, you took off to another part of the uh, of Australia, but um, yeah, I look forward to us being together again soon. Same here, right? That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also, go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.